holy moly, today's episode was a doozy. And by doozy, I mean my therapy session, but also loaded with nuggets and wisdom and value that is implementable right away. My most important part is how there's a four-letter word that is the biggest enemy to your bank account, how keeping up with the Joneses will always lead to loss, and literally crystal clear and tangible takeaways on how to present any hard conversation, how to have an abundant mindset, how to open communication channels, how to lead ourselves focusing on mindset and habits to create the life that we want, whether it's financial abundance or gain or whatever it is, we break down all of it. How we talk about the two biggest mistakes people make around relating to money. If you're always focused on more, you're stuck in the lack. Do you know all of your awesome stuff and literally questions and tangible tools to put it into practice for you to create the life that you love and change the root belief around abundance to live that way and to bring it into your world. I shared some fears. I shared some of where my struggles. I shared how I don't know where my vision is or what I'm supposed to want. I don't know how to gauge it. I'm afraid to think about it. I'm afraid to get it. And a lot more in this episode that I think is value-packed and action-packed down to the deep, deep, deep core of entrepreneurship and of life in general. And so without further ado, I'm going to go shh and we're going to cue the intro. So let's get into the show. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show, where I am not caffeinated at all, but I'll be ripping my way through this cup of coffee as we speak. And we are on with today's amazing guest. I would consider him like, I don't know, let me, let me give an analogy. If you have kids, you've ever heard of Blippi, right? Blippi is this incredible man who helps educate my son and teach him. But I need real life Blippies in my life that aren't really Blippi, but they wear dope colored blue glasses and they have a mission to just help entrepreneurs with money and mindset and abundance and marketing while being one of the nicest, sweetest, most intelligent men that I've ever met. And that's why I have today. So David, welcome to the show. So excited to be here, George. Thank you. I, I haven't heard of Blippi, but, but I'll run with that. Dude, so well, here's, here's why. Here's why Blippi is incredible. So I never knew who Blippi was, but you know, there's like those kid shows that you're like, I can't hear it anymore, right? Like you're like, I can't sing that song anymore. I can't hear it anymore. Blippi's an entrepreneur like us. And he decided to make a persona where he dresses up orange glasses, bow tie. And rather than like make cheesy videos, he like goes to the museums and he educates kids on like stingrays and rattlesnakes. And so my, my three-year-old at the time, he's now five, would come home and like start spitting facts at me. Like, hey dad, did you know that sharks do blank? And did you know? And I was like, where are you learning this? And I was like, I need to learn this. So we started watching a Blippy video before bed every night. And so we'd read our books and then we would watch a Blippy video. And I was like, there was one rule. It had to be educational. So it was Blippy and he plays, but he also goes into real world scenarios and he like makes songs up about excavators. So when my three-year-old started using the word excavator correctly, I was like, I need to know who's responsible for this because I still struggle with pronunciation. And so when I think about it, like I still watch this guy's videos. Like we'll watch them and I laugh and I find myself like very much entertained. And then I realize like subversively I'm learning a ton. And I was like, God, this guy's incredible. And then he's got like 80 million YouTube subscribers all over the world. So it's a very, very good reference because I think this guy is incredible and I want to have him on the podcast. And so 
Uh, it's a massive compliment. That's so awesome. And you didn't need the whole backstory, but I gave it to you anyways. Well, I was listening the whole time. So I've got boys as well. And mine are a little older, but we're always checking that stuff out. And um, yeah, so he's, he's probably, I'd say five, six-ish might be the upper range. You probably get some seven, eighter that just like fell in love with him as a kid. And he has a little bit of older content, but he's more in that like, I think three is pushing it, but it's visually engaging. So it's like that three to nine range because now we've graduated to Coyote Peterson and we watch an episode of Brave Wilderness every night. And so Branson's learning about every insect and monster like and things like this. And then he's like, we shouldn't go there because they have rattlesnakes there. And I don't want to get bit by a rattlesnake because dad, remember, it costs $30,000 for the stuff to make it feel better because he watched a video about how much anti-venom costs. <laughs> That's it's so amazing. My five-year-old just out here like running circles around me and I'm like, okay, got it. So, but yeah, so that's the whole backstory that nobody really needed to hear. <laughs> that's awesome. But I'm stoked to have you, man. So for those of you to have a little bit of context, I had the amazing pleasure of meeting David on a call. Um, we ended up, uh, I think I ended up facilitating a call. I don't remember who it was. And I just remember he would leave a choice comment, it, an amazing one. He was present, he was engaging. And then when he spoke, I was like, I want to be your friend. Who are you? You're kind of awesome. And then we, we kind of stayed in contact and talked to there. And we've, we've kind of been connected since. And I was actually, I think I was messaging David or talking or he reached out to me and I collapsed both worlds. And I was like, why have I not had David on the podcast? We talk marketing, we talk everything. And you are way better at having an abundant mindset and playing a game than I am. And so I'm stoked to have you. But I want to give everybody a little bit of backstory and a little bit of context, because from what I know, you're one of those superhumans that like love, love studying finance at 10 years old. <laughs> and I'm up here riding my BMX bike, getting stitches and going to the hospital. And then that led you into, you know, computer science and then some side investing and now into marketing to now where you're like, you know what? I want to change this paradigm. I want to change this belief system and write a book. So can you kind of give everybody in whatever form you want, like a beginning, middle and end and how we got here? Yeah, I was, I was that kid. And, um, I remember reading books about finance when I was 10 and then running into my parents' room and be like, did you know, you know, X, Y, Z? And their eyes would gloss over and nobody seemed to be interested in this stuff. So it's always something that's sort of been in the background. I've always been interested in it, read it, uh, invested, and really gotten into the, the weeds with that. Um, but again, that wasn't the trajectory I went through. I, I went through university and at that time I was during the dot-com boom. So everybody was getting into computers. So, so that's what I did. Um, but funny enough is, you know, I graduated right during the crash. So it was still a, a world I got into, but, but I missed the, along that hype. But I was always sort of just looking for opportunities, looking at things from, you know, a, a standpoint of what do I want to do? Where can I bring the most, you know, the most value and where do I, where do I fit in? And then now as a dad, so when you're talking about your kid, that's why it was easy for us to go on a tangent. I've got two boys now, nine and 12, but you know, your world changes a little bit and you look at things differently. So with my guys, really what started happening is I started to think, well, what are some things I want to teach them and pass down and just started to, you know, write them down almost like a journal or a diary or something, you know, something happened to me. What, what are the lessons I'd want them to know? And that's when it started coming back around to all this stuff around money and finance and the way I view the world in in that way is, is a little bit different than most, most people. So I, so I started expanding on that. And during that expansion, 
realized I could build a really fun, cool story around this and teach the kids, but also not just my kids, but other kids. And, mm-hmm. and that's how this whole sort of current uh, iteration evolved where um, really my passion now is teaching kids about money and with the, the core goal of changing the way we think about money and what it means to live a rich life. I mean, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I absolutely love it, dude. I, I was literally writing a note as I write notes to this. And, and when you said, I was like, what do I want to teach my boys? And my brain popped into and wrote down, like, what legacy are you leaving your children? And then I went to, are we leaving our kids results or are we leaving them the tools to create the results? And it just kind of like struck me for a minute. Like, that's a, such an incredibly powerful thing. And so one of the things that you said that I think is so powerful, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. You said changing our relationship with money right? Like how we view it, the paradigm on it. When you say that, like, what do you mean? Like, what have you been seeing or what do you think is one of the, the trending down paradigms when it comes to money, both in kids, but also up to our level, you know, in our age demographic of like how people see it, like, what are you seeing that you're working so hard to shift? So this is something that's started to evolve and crystallize through this whole process because I'm right in the weeds. So I'm talking to you parents like yourself and other parents and everyone's getting excited about money and what they want to teach their kids and this legacy. But I started see the, seeing these patterns and recognizing the disconnect. So what, what's happening right now, whenever people think about money or read about money or want to know more about finance, it's all about how do I have more, how to create more money, more wealth. And it's all of that focus on more which is why we're stuck with never having enough. It doesn't matter how much you have, there's always more. And it's the only lesson we're taught or interested in. So when I talk about changing the way we think about it, I've recognized that the big lesson we're missing is the why and what's really important to us as the first lesson. Then we can focus on more. There's nothing against more or having more. It's just without that first lesson, you'll never have enough. So that whole why of, what what is important to you what is what's your awesome stuff is how i refer to it in the book what is your awesome stuff and then only buy the awesome stuff well i i i this is this will probably be the through line that we rip to pieces through this whole episode because this one goes really really deep and i i love this because uh this is something that i think about you and i obviously are very aligned in what we talk we're, we're very aware of each other and what we do and and when i think about this when i when i hear this I even go back to realizing like when I made my first million dollars, when I had my first blank, when I accomplished my first thing is that I wasn't driving that car. Everybody else was driving that car and I was trying to keep up. Like I was executing my life to fit into somebody else's box and to be a viewer of vision of somebody else's vision or dream because I lacked your most important first lesson, which is why and what's important to me. And I'll share personally, I've learned this lesson quite a few times um, and none of them are pleasurable. They all massively painful. And typically when I learn it again, the third time or the fourth time, it hurts even worse. Uh, But I've lost everything I've ever created by chasing the more because the more always implied that there was like something outside of myself. And so this, you saying this applies a lot, but I will say, I'm going to ask a personal question here because at 39 years old, 
I still don't think I've ever intentionally sat down and looked into the first lesson and even know where to begin. And it's something that comes up in my day, in my week, in my month, where it's like, I'm the marketer, I'm doing events, I'm on stage and I'm creating all these results. And there's times that I have a little bit of clarity of like what I want, but most of the time I'm advocating that to my team or to my wife or to those around me. And I'm very uncomfortable saying this, but it's it's something that scares me a little bit because I grew up in poverty. Like I grew up in drug abuse. I grew up in homelessness. I grew up in the system. And so I was never taught like how to do it. So when you say like the first lesson being why or what's important to us, like what does that look like? Like where would I even begin? Where would other people begin on identifying what that is to, to lay a solid foundation? So it's one of those things that's, like most of these lessons, the lesson's simple and then practicing it becomes <laughs> complex. Yes. But the awareness, that is the key, key part of this whole thing. And that's why it's so fun to see this work with even kids. So, I mean, definitely adults, you can really get into it. But even kids, just that awareness of the why. So to put it into sort of kid terms where it's easier to get, then we can, you know, dive deeper into No, speak to me like I'm a child. Like I was a Marine. Remember this in the United States Marine Corps? Like there's only three colors of crayons in my box. Like this isn't a running joke. It's the truth. So you could talk to me like I'm a kid. Yeah, I love that. I was part of a men's group. And uh, one of the books we were gifted from one of the other guys in the group was basically like a Star Wars book of like your emotions. Because like there's more than two and showing like Yoda and what his emotion was and you know, Han Solo and his emotion. Oh, that's what that feeling is. I remember that. Um, so yeah, so getting back to the kids. Um, so I'm sure as a parent, like we all experienced our kids wanting to buy something and we're in the store and they're just bugging and pleading and they know if they can plead their case well enough, they're going to get that thing. And that's, their focus. Can I have this? This is what I want. I want it. Can I have this? So back to that more. That's, that's what we've learned. That's what we're taught. But this awareness piece changes that conversation, even with the kid. So we start talking about what's your awesome stuff and the awesome stuff can't be everything. The awesome stuff is what's the stuff that's most important to you. When you're looking around your room, what's your favorite toy? What's your favorite thing? What's your favorite activity? What are the things that aren't something that you like this week, but you didn't a month ago and you won't next month. Those things that just always bring you joy and make you smile. And that awareness, once they start stopping and pausing and thinking, what, what is my awesome stuff? You get back to that same scenario where the kid wants a chocolate bar and just asking, is that your awesome stuff? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the lesson. And you'll see anyone can sit and pause and ponder, is this awesome stuff? Is this going to make me happy? Is this Gonna, you know, is this where I want to, you know, is this the hill I want to die on with my parents? Is this a thing? And for some <laughs> kids it is. I mean, you could be a sure. and that's like, I, you know, I've always wanted this. All my friends are talking about this. I want to taste it. Like there's no judgment in what your awesome stuff is, but the awareness of asking that question changes the whole conversation. And then if they realize it's not the awesome stuff, that same child will put it down because mm. it doesn't have any value. I, I love, oh, I'm, we're going to run out of time on this episode, David. I already know. I'm just going to say it now. For everybody listening, we're not going to make this a three-hour episode because I got other calls today, but I'm, 
I don't know why David and I have not had this conversation more because I, my like internal psyche is going nuts right now. Um, what I love so much about that. So my son is five, right? You said your boys are what, nine and 12. Yeah. But I started when this about three years ago. So they were yeah, not really- right around that age. And, and I have to give my wife all the kudos. So like my wife has been into, I mean, she's certified hypnosis and NLP. And then you mix personal development and abundance. Like I watch her talk to our children and I'm like taking notes for myself. Right. I'm like, okay, this isn't so I can parent my son better. I'm going to go sit with this later and realize that this is how I need to view money. This is how I need to ask questions. This is how I need to be abundance. But what I love so much is that um, when you even I love is this awesome stuff because it eliminates the confusion, the complexity, the the existing paradigm, socioeconomics, external pressure, what the world is up to. And it's like in such a simple statement, it goes from and, and fuck it, we're just going to make this episode my therapy session with David. OK, so it's therapy with George, with David in the blue glasses leading the way. Right. Uh, I'm going to have to get pink ones now because I feel like they make you look sophisticated and I need some. And um, but when I hear that. And even like I have my best month or I close this big deal, I'm never really excited about the money. I'm always excited about the impact because I really genuinely love what I do. But then it turns and then somebody like, well, what'd you do with that company? And I'm like, I realize that I see the pressure from the outside as this frame of like very transactional, like very matter of fact, like very like, how did you do it? Or why did you do it? Or how much are you doing? Or how, what was your percentage rate or what was ever? And in everything outside of me, like in business, I'm like, does it matter? And I'm like, oh yeah. And they'll be like, what was your percentage rate? I'm like a hundred dope people got a result and I can always do it there. But when it comes into my intrapersonal world, I'll be like, do I want this? And my brain, my brain will go through, is this in the business? Is this personal? It's going to help me create this. Is it going to help me do this? Is it going to help me go here? Is it going to help me do this? And it, it rips through this entire narrative, which feels like residual trauma to be really, really frank with you. It feels like, you know, anchors to the past. And then the moment you go and you're like, well, is it awesome stuff? That whole world collapses and it makes it about what I feel and it plugs me immediately into my body, into my heart, into my soul, into my stuff without even thinking about what's happening outside. And you ask me a question that I would ask my five-year-old. That's, that's my interpretation of that. Well, and that's what's so beautiful. It's, it's so, so simple. And then it evolves from that. And it's again, that awareness piece. So, I mean, here, I mean, we're, we're doing the session. So maybe you could tell me what is your awesome stuff? Yeah. Well, oh God, what a, what a beautiful, beautiful question. Um, here's what I found moving to Montana was a big, a big thing for me because it was a Parkinson's law, right? So I left a lot and I, and I made a rule that when we left, I was leaving everything behind that I didn't want to bring with me, which meant expectations and things. So like for those listening, like I got rid of my dream car that I only had for a year. Like I was like, I had this thing on my vision board for 25 years and I never thought I'd get it. Right. And then I'll never forget. I went, I bought the car. It was a 2021 BMW M5 competition in Nardo gray. Cause you really need to go zero to 60 in 2.7 seconds. And I drove the car and I drove it like a daily driver. Right. And then, um, I'll never forget. I didn't lease it. I bought it and I looked at it and I drove it and I loved it. And then I was like, yeah, and people be like, what's your car? What, what's going on? Like, like I want to take it for a ride, blah, blah, blah. And there was a point in owning the car that I started to feel like 
there's nothing wrong with the car. There's nothing wrong with owning the car, but the paradigm that was being created in my world around the car wasn't who I naturally wanted to be. And so it was this interesting feeling. And then we decided to move to Montana and I'd never been here. I'd never been to Montana and I didn't know what the roads were like. And I convinced myself, and this is what I had to do, David, I made up a story for myself. And I was like, this car is useless in Montana. It's going to get destroyed. It's going to get stuck in the snow. It's going to get broken. The windshield's going to smash. Most of the roads probably aren't paved anyway, because we're going back 50 years in society, I guess. But I, I literally went through this whole process. And then literally before we moved, I sold the car. And of course, we get to Montana. And three days later, I see the exact car downtown, right? And I was like, oh, apparently you can have an M5 here. And then I kind of giggled at myself because I didn't want the car anymore. I didn't need the car. I didn't miss the car. And I've never been more excited to be functional. So to answer your question, one of my awesome stuffs is nature and being present in nature. And I realized that I couldn't take that car out. And so I started thinking about this and I've never been more stoked to buy a station wagon in my life. I went and I like shopped around Subarus and wagons. I ended up building a Subaru Outback that literally I could have bought five of for the price of that other car. And I was like, I've never been happier. Like I literally, cause I've not, I didn't buy the car. I bought the tool to get me to my awesome, which was out in nature. I can take it off-roading. I can camp in it. I can go up to the lakes. I can commute in it. My tires are about one, one hundredth of the price. My oil changes are about one, one hundredth of the price and I'm not attached to the car. And so for me, one of my awesome things is not having an attachment to the material things that I own, but having them serve a purpose to get me into something that's incredibly awesome for me, which is nature, snowboarding. Um, and then the other big awesome thing that I'm noticing is that <clears throat> this year, with all the work that I do, I'm on video all the time. I'm on podcasts all the time, right? Like I, I have a function here of like having cool equipment and looking really good on camera, but it feels like a checkbox to me. And, I, and lately I've been filming again. And I've been like making videos for things that have nothing to do with my business and like thinking creatively and shots. And I've been directing like ads and commercials for free just for fun. And then I realized that um, creating something like with video and with tech is really, really important to me. And so what I did is that I kept all my studio set up and then I was like, I don't want to use any of this because this is work. And I just built a small little set in my office with stuff that I had. And then now... I find ways to be creative and film products. And it's funny though, David, because I'm actually getting rid of more stuff than I'm acquiring. Like I went through my whole photography closet and I was like, I don't need that. I don't need that. I can sell that camera. I don't need that. And so my awesome stuff now tends to be around the result and then looking at things to create tools around it. But where I struggle, and I know this is, this is why my therapist charged me so much money, um, where I struggle is I have trouble thinking into the future, right? My wife holds the vision for our family. I want the ranch, the retreat center, the property, the boom. And when I think about that, I'm pretty neutral. Like I don't get excited about it. I'm also not sad about it, but I have trouble sitting down and dreaming because I'm like, does it matter? Do I really want to be there? Do I know if I want to be there? And so then I know that I have trouble even future casting out because it, it brings in some level of shame or pressure. And so I try to stick in the moment. And so I'm in this like metamorphosis around it to where I think it would be amazing to have the property that my wife wants and the retreat center that she wants and us to facilitate that. I think it would be awesome to have that property. But then at the same time, I don't know if 
that's awesome or what I want. And so that, that I, that's probably the most convoluted, confusing thing ever, but that's what it feels like to me. Like what I'm loving is like, I used to hate my commute, right? Like when I lived in, you know, the jungle of California, I used to hate my commute. And then now I quadrupled my commute and I enjoy every moment of it because I'm driving by the mountains and the Swan Mountain Range and Glacier National Park. And this morning, like I drove by a herd of 170 plus wild elk 35 feet away from us. And I'm like, I'll take it. So like when I'm booking airports now, I'll book the further one so I can drive through more of Montana because I just love looking at nature. And so that's kind of where I am right now to where I'm having trouble put putting a, an awesome stuff on things that are tangible or physical because I'm, I'm like healing this relationship with things and I'm, I'm trying to Marie Kondo my whole life, right? Does this bring me joy? Does this distract me from my feelings? And so that's my complicated case. That's, I mean, that's beautiful. That's, that's what I meant by the complexity of it. I mean, the lesson's simple, but the complexity, but if I just back up a bit with the car, what I love about that and what I've noticed more and more a lot, depending on where people are and what stage they are, they are in, in life or, or just their desires. A lot of times, like if I caught you a few years ago, you would have said your awesome stuff with your car. Mm -hmm. But the reason you would have said the awesome stuff is your car is because that's what you wanted to buy next. Yep. Not your awesome stuff. It's what was in your mind of what you want to buy next. That's what you were aspiring to. And so then if I pushed you at that time and said, well, what, what do you really enjoy doing? And if it wasn't driving fast downtown or having, you know, friends want to drive your car and, and pat you on the back for, for this beautiful thing, and it was nature, then, then you start realizing, oh, maybe it's not the car. That's just what I'm thinking of buying. That's just what I'm wanting. But my awesome stuff really is nature. And then even when you talked about the ranch, it could be the ranch, but where we get stuck, and this is the whole thing, is we've been basically trained to, to always think more and better, right? So we see, it doesn't matter who we see, when we'll see billionaires, and then whether they're, you know, on Forbes top 10 or the top 100, in our minds, we slot them and rank them. Oh, they've slipped down. They have less. They're not... And these are billionaires. I mean, they, they could buy anything they really want, but still, oh, they just lost this much money. And even in their minds, they've got this company or they've got these assets or they've got these things. It's like, you've done that. Well, what next? How do you do more with that? And we've mm -hmm. been focused on the more. And, and that's what I'm trying to change is there's, again, nothing wrong with the ranch. There's nothing with more, wrong with more or building your company, but that shouldn't be the only thing we're taught and the only thing we think about. Yeah. And what, I, what I, this is like, my brain is going nuts for all the right reasons. Cause this is like, what I love so much is that word, right? Is this your awesome stuff? Like it's kind of a Trojan horse by default, right? And it's so simple for an adult, but it is loaded, loaded, with like paradigm shifting wound trauma challenging simplicity of like no can you tell me what your awesome stuff is and if they're like no and then i go to linear right well i'll do this to have y or i'll grow this to have here or this is the next thing in the evolution and you're like but is it your awesome stuff and i'm like 
Well, no, because I wanted to do it because I grew up homeless and I didn't know here. And that's what they thought I should do. And I worked so hard, but I'm really unhappy and I just want to go hiking. You know what I mean? Like it's, I'm like, I'm like, I actually like, I'm turning a little red because it's so simple. It's like such a big, powerful thing. And um, I make this really complex sometimes because I also feel like in that world that we we live in, like I was having this conversation the other day on a podcast and it was like, the, the, and you'll appreciate this, like we think about entrepreneurship. When did it become the norm that you had to double your business every year to be considered successful, right? Like, Every year was a growth year. Like if you don't meet 50% year over year, you're a failure. And I was like, well, when do we ever, I don't know, audit, adjust, recalibrate, trim, make a plan for the next year, right? Like I, I watch into these entrepreneurs and it's like, no, no, I failed. I'm like, why'd you fail? They're like, because I only went from 1.5 million to 1.9 million. And I was like, okay, um, will you please help me understand how you failed? And they're like, well, well, I should have hit 2.2. And I was like, okay, so we'll take the 400 back. They're like, no, 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 no. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. And so this more, more, more paradigm is is wrapped up into everything. And I think what, not what concerns me, but what I've been caught up into, it, it, it's a byproduct of disconnection, right? Like it's a result of disconnection. I know my more, more, more comes up when I'm not in my body or in my power or in my presence of like, who am I? How am I feeling today? Like, what do I want to bring to the world? But then I wake up and I'm like, text messages, Instagrams, blank was down. We lost 60 grand today. Who's doing this? And the moment I let that come drive me and I react to it, I end up more, more, more. I got to fix this. Then we got to do this. And then it leads to this. And then we do here. And by the time I get done with my day, I didn't have a day. I was chasing everybody else's mores and I couldn't tell you if I found an awesome thing, if I had an awesome moment, if I had an awesome breath, if I had an awesome talk, because it was convoluted in this, this paradigm of more. And so it's going. Well, and the scariest thing about more is you're in, the, if you're in that game, there, there is no end to that game. So you cannot break out of more. You'll never break out of more because that's the whole game. And then when you die, you see how much you, more you accumulated. That's your score. And that's, that's where you hit, but there, there is no end game. And I'm, so to take us on a bit of a tangent, cause you asked about the awesome stuff and how it's, let's go where we're down. We're about down every tangent that we could be <laughs> down already. <laughs> well, so I know, I know you've got this amazing ability to, you know, see people read them like uh that's that's what drew me to you is just just that that empath ability that you have that natural vulnerability and just going deep and so a really good trick i find with awesome stuff is when someone tells you that this is what they want this is their awesome stuff this is what's important and it's just flat you could just feel it's flat they're telling you that they might emphasize the words but it's flat. And then you start talking about like nature. If I started talking to you about some of the, you know, wildlife you saw today, mm -hmm. you could start feeling like your body language changes. You start getting a little bit more energetic. You probably can't stop smiling. No. Nope. And it's just this full body. Like you feel it through the whole body, a full body. Yes. This is your yeah. awesome stuff. That's a really good trick to know. What is this? Is it, is it your mind just thinking about it? Like, this is what I want. Or do you just start getting really excited about it and you can't even stop talking or smiling or just wanting to share that? And that's, 
that's your awesome stuff. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I love that frame because I can think of a lot of things in my life and in my ecosystem that if you ask me, I'm a logical yes, but I'm not a heart and belly yes, right? Like it, it's a little misaligned. I'm a yes because it feels right to say yes or it feels easier to say yes. Or I'm like, I should say yes, which still happens to me as a very successful adult that still works in these industries or like, I do say yes. Like I, what I love so much about this concept of awesome stuff and this more is the realization of it is the through line isn't money. It's, it's every ounce of your sovereignty in yourself. It's like, how many times have I said yes to go to a dinner when I really wanted to go to bed and rest? And then I was upset the next day that I was tired, but I said yes, cause it was a logical and I loved dinner. I love these people, but in that moment, it wasn't one of my awesome things because my awesome thing would have been self-care. It would have been rest. It would have been a phone call, right? It would have been a, a, a something along those lines. And so the, uh, the, the real world application of this across the board is so simple, but it's so profound and so powerful because I, you can see it, right? Like I know that I love my job because whether I get paid or not, I still do it. And it still fires me up. Like I'll, I'll have an hour of sleep and then I will go keynote for 22 hours on customer journey and email. And I'm like, no, 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 let's go, go, go. Like it's a yes, yes, yes. Like it's an embodied conscious, like rooted, rooted down as deep as it can go, can go. Yes. And when I look at it through this lens, it applies kind of across the board and, and I love it. And would you say that when we, when you, when you're teaching these concepts around like money and abundance and even, you know, what you really, really want, do you find that in the beginning it, it tends to be some tangible things, but then it kind of morphs and gets into more untangible things. And that's a part of the healing process around the paradigm. For sure. Like definitely. Um, and, and I allude, I touch on it very briefly in the book, because again, I want to make it really accessible and easy for people. But I do mention that, that, that awesome stuff. So the whole lesson of only buy the awesome stuff, don't forget the awesome stuff can also be experiences. Mm -hmm. And, and usually those are the lasting ones. Like that's the stuff, even with kids. I mean, you talk to your, your son, it probably isn't the toy in his room. It's probably an afternoon spent with the family doing something that mm -hmm. stands out. He's like, Hey dad, remember when we did that? We should, we should do that again. That was a lot of fun. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes it, sometimes there's a monetary value to it. Sometimes there's not, but just knowing what it is. And, and that's the whole beauty of it is all of a sudden you shift from this lack. Cause if you're wanting, if you're focused on the more, you're always stuck in lack. Yep. You just are, it, that's the nature of it. There's something else you want that you don't have. And so the beauty is it shifts it from this sort of feeling of lack to appreciation because you start recognizing all the things that, that actually do light you up and then going out of your way to recreate that as, as frequently as you can in your life. So, yeah. And in, in typical my fashion, because you'll appreciate, it, I'm going to rip the bandaid all off right now because, um, I think to go even one step deeper and, and I can only, I, I will only speak for myself in this realm, but I also realized that I'd say a good nine out of 10 times, um, nine out of 10 times when I'm in this space of like, is this awesome stuff? Is this awesome stuff? If I sit with it long enough, <clears throat> the deeper question that I ask myself is what is this preventing me from feeling or what is this trying to fix? Right. And like, that's where, that's where I've been to where 
you know, like it's really, really funny when I watch my habits. Like I, I have some things I love, like I love long range shooting because it's very meditative to me. Like I'm building a new gun that I can shoot a mile and a half away. Not so I can hunt, but so I can go be present on a target and with my rifle and, you know, do all that stuff. But I've wanted to build that gun for two years and I pulled the trigger, no pun intended, <laughs> like uh, two months ago, right? And it wasn't that I felt like I was lacking it. And I also knew that it was awesome stuff, but I also was like, do I really want it? Like, is it really awesome? Is it really that thing? Is that really what I want to do? Am I really going to go shoot it? And, and it got to a point where when I ever asked that question, I didn't have an answer anymore. And I was like, well, yeah, but maybe, maybe not. And I just had this piece of like, oh yeah, I'll build it now. Right. But I, I find that for me, especially living in the world that I live in, like where it's go, 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 market, 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 scale, 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 big, 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 jet, 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 dinner, 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 car, 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 car. Even though I'm choosing to live different and work on living different, it naturally kind of permeates into my ecosystem quite a bit. And I've found this pause period to be like one of the greatest things ever. Like, for example, like this camera looks incredible. I love this camera. I've had it for two years. And since I got it, I wanted one more that is a little bit different. And literally, I've probably looked at it once a week. And I'm like, oh, but do I really need it? Do I? And, and I, I put this pause period on it. And sometimes I forget. And so my new thing is if I want something, I put it in my calendar 30 days later. And so like, I'm like, oh, I got this right. And I'm afraid I'm going to forget about it. So I'm like, cool. I literally go out in my calendar. I make a date 30 days from now. I'm like, hey, look at the gun or think about the camera or do whatever. And most of the time I like open my calendar that day. I'm like, what gun? Huh? What do you, what? I don't even remember. And I'm like, oh, delete it and delete it. And then sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, that camera, that thing. And that's one of the ways that I practice this for myself. It's kind of like Marie Kondoing my life, right? Does this bring me joy? Do I want this? Because if I really believe that I want something awesome, whether it's a material item, whether it's a retreat, whether it's something in business, if I genuinely do, then I'm not going to get it in this moment anyways, most likely, and play with the emotion and the impulse. And so I try to sit with it and it's something I practice, but it's been pretty helpful for me. Yeah, no, the delay works really well. Um, but it sounds like as you're, as you're, as you're moving away from things, part of that, um, part of that sort of, it, it becomes a slow move and then builds and builds momentum because even that question of, is this my awesome stuff? And you're mentioning, I can hear what sort of the struggle and, and I find the same thing is if you start getting those things they're going to become a distraction and they're going to distract you from other things. So now you got to choose, do I use this camera or do I use this camera? Which one do I like more? Like it just, it, it becomes a thing. It's, it's there. And, and so if it's not your awesome stuff, it's just diluted what you really did love, which is just getting on the call. It's all set up. You didn't have to think about it and you're running. So that's the trick and that's what's the beauty of this awareness it starts small and then it just builds and then as you become more aware you start realizing you know the gun the question isn't so much like is it the awesome stuff or is it not is there something you'd rather be doing is it going to take you away from what is important that's the more and, and again with the awareness the beauty of it is once you're aware you start thinking okay well if i wasn't shooting the gun, what would I be doing? Does that bring up something in me that makes me more excited or less excited? And you almost start ranking your joy and your happiness and your presence and, and where, you're, where you're lit up. And 
And I find that's a pretty, it's a pretty neat shift in it. It can be complex, but it really is simple as well. Yeah, I feel like what got complex is that like uh, in theory, like when you really think about it, you could think at a very high level and it could have millions and millions of iterations. But then when you chunk it down, you're like, okay, all that stuff's still going to be there. But in this moment, do I take a bite, right? And is this awesome? Is this not awesome? And it's, what I love is it eliminates the rumination because it's like, hey, all that stuff, all that question, all that isn't what I want. Is this where I want to go? All that's still going to exist. But the only way in which I'm ever going to get that answer is if I actually take an intentional action. And then that will start to dispel or iterate out what I want, what I need. And, and this applies across the board. And so now, you know, step one is basically first lesson is like, why or what's important to us, right? So understanding this presence of like, is this my awesome stuff? And, and I just want to say this to everybody listening. This applies everywhere. This applies to marketing campaigns. This applies to team. This applies to hires and fires. This applies to product launches. This applies to what you're putting on social media, what you're putting in your podcast, what you're writing in your book. Like this simple concept applies across the board because it will help you become aware of like, am I doing this because this is a requirement and a checkbox that doesn't bring me joy, but it will lead to joy? Or am I doing this because I've convinced myself that I want to do this, but this might not be what I want to do. Or am I doing this because I want to do it and it works and it's fully aligned. And, and I love this intention that it brings to the table. So then I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to practice some dream boarding, some vision boarding of like, what's awesome to me? Like, what, what would that ranch look like? Or why would I want to have that? Or what, what would be a pro and a con of it of just like really rudely deeping into like what it would represent. And so now I'm clear. I know why or what it is that I want to do. Then what? Then what do I do? Then you roll into the habits. Mm. Because what happens with money is we think it's math and we think it's, you know, macroeconomics and all this, you know, charts and school and, and there's a revulsion. Like most people aren't that 10 year old reading finance books. It just, is of zero interest. And what I've realized is after doing this for as long as I have, all those books and all those charts and all that information is just a lot of noise. And it's the, the habits that you get into that are really going to determine if you're going to accumulate wealth or not. And the habits are simple. I mean, it's, we, we know them, we've heard them. It's, you know, paying yourself first, letting that compound and giving it time. But the thing we don't realize is the time it needs to compound is a lot less than we think. I mean, that whole compounding is incredible. But if it's set up as a habit, then it's not something you have to worry about. You have to worry about saving and where you're putting your money and what you're investing in. Just you're in that habit. You don't even realize it. And you've got that nest egg and it creates that choice. So all of this really comes down to that mindset and habits. And that's 95% of it. I mean, we, we even see like Warren Buffett, one of the greatest investors, you know, arguably of our time, he tells his estate, just set it and forget it. Yeah. So here's my, I have a two part question. Cause I think it's really, really impactful. I'm one of those people that I learn more by identifying what mistakes have been made or that I've made. So then it has this awareness in my brain of like, oh, that's the thing, right? So I'm going to two part this one. Number one is when it comes to mindset, 
like money mindset outside of the the more, 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 what are some of the other common mistakes that you hear that you see that we can bring to people's awarenesses so we have them to notice them when they show up? I mean, the biggest one with money is always, always judgment. I mean, mm. we charge money so much. So, so, I mean, we've talked a lot about the more, more, more. That's, that's one frame. That's one direction. We've got the opposite as well. It's like money's bad. Having more is bad. I'm sure people judge you for having the car in a negative way. Some in a positive, some in a negative. Like we just charge everything with money. And the reality is, is money's just a tool. It doesn't, it doesn't make you good or bad. Having more doesn't make you good or bad. Having less doesn't make you good or bad. But we really charge money. And, and so that's a big, that's a big mistake. So then if we're getting back to kids, um, I don't mention the book, but something I really encourage is just talking about money. Like it's like the biggest taboo. I mean, you might know their deepest secrets of your friends, but not how much they make or what their net yep. worth is. And we just don't talk about it. So then we have kids that don't know anything about what we make, what we spend, how much things cost. They grow up and we send them out in the world and say, make good, good financial decisions. They can't, there's no, there's nothing to relate it to. They don't even know what, what things are worth. So just having those discussions, even with your children about like this costs this and this costs that, and this is how much I make. And, and you can still keep it private and say it's within the family, but just that knowledge, just having that discussion. So it takes away the taboo because I think that's why it's so charged is because we don't talk about it. Yeah. And I think what I've noticed too, is that when we have that taboo paradigm and that judgment, it actually creates separation. It creates a divide. And so like, I'm listening through the lens of like business, right? One of the companies that I own, um, for whatever reason, we were doing something the other day, like we were working, I was in Ohio, I was working on something. And then just accidentally, I was like, oh yeah, this is how much it costs. And three of the employees stopped and looked at me and they were like, what? And I was like, oh yeah, that's how much this costs me for us to be able to do that. And they were shocked. Like, and I was like, what? And they're like, that's a lot of money. And I was like, well, yeah, but we have to do it. And they're like, well, we haven't been working hard enough for the last couple of days. We didn't know. Like, we're, and I was like, well, that's fine. I didn't say anything, but it was, it was really interesting because it wasn't, I wasn't upset. I was like, no, no, this is what it costs. Like, this is what we're creating and, and what we're investing. But I realized that I've never really brought them into the conversation. I brought them and said, hey, here's the thing we're doing and here's what we're going to accomplish. And I was like, in that moment, it was a very big kind of like leadership team, enrollment, communication, connection moment. Because all of a sudden the, the level of investment from a personal standpoint, just from having the knowledge changed the output that we were creating. And I was like, oh, not from a place of like, oh, it's bad, or I wish it wasn't this, or it's so expensive, but it's like, oh yeah, that is, that is what it costs. Right. And then I've, I've had it come up at, you know, we take the team out to dinner. Like I've, I'll pay the bill and I, I won't say a word about it and I don't ever have to say it. But if somebody asks me. I don't have to be like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm like, oh yeah, of course. Right. And I've found myself in the past. They're like, how much was that dinner? I'm like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It's on me. And I was like, I didn't really gain anything by saying that it's more so for my ego than anything to be like, oh, I did this or I paid this or it doesn't matter. And I was like, if they want to know, I can just be like, oh, it was $1,700. And they're like, oh, okay. And it gives some sort of frame of reference, but I, I'm like listening through where I catch this and where, where it comes up. So I love that judgment. I love that judgment talk. And I also love the, the simple solution of it's like, you know, I have a rule with my friends, especially when I do business with my friends. And I was like, if we ever get to a point where money is an awkward conversation, we are done exchanging it. That's it. 
Like I will never sacrifice a friendship over money. But with a lot of my friends, it's like, they're like, we're paying you, I'm paying you. I'm paying you back. You're doing this. Like we're doing here, we're doing here. And I was like, but the moment it ever gets to like, I don't feel safe talking about it. This feels like we're scheduling a call over something. This feels like professional rather than in flow. Then I'm like, hey, we need to, we need to chit chat about this to eliminate whatever that might be to come to a common ground. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's the thing. Just talking about it. It's, it's so simple, but we don't, it is. we don't do it. And, and we, we just, we hesitate. It's, it's just overly charged for that reason. And, and the scary thing is, is because of that, we start making judgments, you know, so even when you're talking about business, people we work with, if they earn more or have more, we increase their perceived value. Yep. And, and that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the way. And, and that's the thing is we really, we layer on a lot when it comes to money. Oh, I'm, I am about as, I'm about as guilty as I come. I feel like my body operates at like 98% scarcity. And then my consciousness and the work I've done brings it to present. And then it like clears it out. But if I'm off my rocker, if I'm, it happened today, it actually happened on the phone with my wife right before I came on this podcast when I was driving here and it wasn't scarcity around money. It was scarcity around life. But then when I started and I, I got off the call and I cried because I was like, I don't like how this feels. I'm not kind of proud of like how I showed up. I was able to like retrace it back into that. Like it was all tied into the same conversation, right? And money tended to be at the root of it, even though it had nothing to do with the conversation, but in my brain and the way that my neural pathways work and my trauma worked and my life worked was that I have associated judgments, not from having too much or not having enough, but out of fear of what happens when I don't have enough to go back to how it was as a child to then not be able to provide for my children. And so then I put a self judgment on my performance and then I project it out on those around me as it's something they did or didn't do. I'm going to cry. Um, something they did or didn't do. And it's like, I'm gaslighting them because of my fear of being authentic about, I don't know, or I'm judging it, or I think it's supposed to look a certain way. And I keep finding in the work that I do, these little like pockets of box shadows that are like hiding that, you know, takes the right trigger to get them out. But that happened today. And if I went down to just rather than having a story, rather than having a, well, it would do this and do this. And I was just like, is this awesome? And I'm like, yeah, you know what? This is awesome. This doesn't feel awesome. And I don't know what it feels like, but I should probably just say that instead of trying to come up with this narrative. And for those listening, don't go back and listen to that part because that's very inceptuous on my inner psyche, by the way. That's, that's a deep rabbit hole. I don't recommend you going down. But that, David, that, that's exactly what comes up for me around that is where this concept of like this judgment around money will have judgments around how I'm supposed to perform or I'm supposed to show up or what it's supposed to look like or what that keynote was supposed to say or what this podcast was supposed to sound like, right? And then when I really wrap into it and I'm grounded and I'm clear, I'm like, oh, it was perfect. It was exactly how it was supposed to be, right? But then I'll get hit with a, some other external trigger in my life, right? Or an ad account get shut down. Or the other day, one of our websites was down for four hours and we lost 68 grand in four hours, right? And it was so funny because it happened. And I was like, okay, cool. Here's what we do. Totally fine. This is normal. It's part of the game. We handled it. But then about two days later, I was sitting on an airplane just in silence and it started to get to me. And it started to get to me around money and what could have happened and how I could have avoided this and where is it? And I was like, 
we're already past this whole situation. Like we fixed it and it's a closed chapter in a book, but yet I'm going to try to reopen it because I want to like collect evidence around judgment. Like what if I did it differently? Or, and then I'm like looking for a story to tell about making it harder rather than just accepting it was closed. And so this one, this one lands a lot for me, um, as you had no clue you were going to basically be my therapist today, but yeah, I, I get that one. So that's around the mindset piece of it, right? So mindset being more, 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 and then God, the judgment around it for sure of creating it. It's almost like a, a caste system, right? Like it's designed to, to create that divisiveness, but so far two simple concepts. Is this awesome? Is this my awesome? And I'm judging something. I should probably talk about it has like two of the most profound simplistic, but very complex, but simplistic and easy executable items that will mitigate both of those. And so then in habits, when it comes to like money habits, that's the other side of this. And whether we're talking about kids or adults, like what are some of those, you know, bad habits or the big ones that you notice that, that either people don't think are bad habits because of bad education or bad teaching or a lack of teaching or do, but don't really know the way in which to eliminate that self-sabotage or that pattern. Like what are some of those that you see? So the number one habit you need to get into is just setting aside a set percentage of everything that comes in and letting that invest in compound. And so one of the worst habits associated with that is we try to brute force it. So we think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get really good this month cut down all my spending, have a little bit left over and save that. And I'm just going to push it through. But that works against our nature. We don't work very well with our nature. So back to, um, you, you dropped that rule. I'm trying to think of the one. Basically, if we, if we have oh. the space, we'll fill it. Yep. Yeah. That was the rule. Law. Yeah. 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 Law. Yep. Same, same thing applies to money. You know, if we have the money, we will find a place to spend it. That is just Parkinson's law in action right there. You know, bring it full circle. So, yeah. so the habit of trying to budget our way towards savings or just brute force it or do it is not a, does not work with most people. And so that whole idea of always saving first, just get it set up as a habit, set it up so it's automated. So right off the top, everything you make, a certain percentage is just saved and invested. That habit is going to have more of an impact financially on your life than any other habit. And the thing is, again, with all these rules, it builds in all that complexity and it's like that Trojan horse. So if you think of like lifestyle inflation, it puts a cap on that, a ceiling, because you've already saved and looked after those things. So you, it, after the fact, it doesn't matter if you apply Perkins Law and spend everything you have because the savings already looked after. And it's compounding and growing. And so you already have that safety net and that security. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, so bad, so bad habit, trying to budget your way out of it and do it yourself. Good habit is just setting it up through a system automation, set it and forget it. And you never even see the money leave your bank account. Yeah. And would you say that it's a fair kind of practice of implementation of like, just intentionally start small, like just pick something and develop the comfort around that habit and the 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 titration of that habit and the momentum of that habit and then what it will should change it should change your awareness of what's coming in right it'll it'll bring awareness to other spending other habits other things along those lines and then when comfortable make audits and adjustments and then increase that as you go yeah i mean that's a that's a 
the gentlest, simplest way to do it. Yeah. Um, child over here. I'm just being a child yeah. over here. I'm like, cool. Got to do this. Got to think about this. Yep. Mm -hmm. But again, it, it could be one of those things too, moving forward. So anytime you get a raise, apply a certain percentage. I mean, there's all these different rates that are thrown out there. 20% is one of those rates that of saving rates that is, is becoming more popular just because we're living longer. We need more, our pensions are smaller. So they're asking you to save more. Saving 20% is really hard, but that's if applied to cutting your spending today by 20%. Mm -hmm. But if it became a habit, like if you think back to, you know, last year or the year before when you had less, that increase, it's hard to even really think of what, where you spent that increase, but we do yeah. back to Parkinson's law. Yep. But if we never even noticed it and just didn't get in the habit of spending more, it becomes easy. So if moving from today forward, you don't want to, you're having difficulty, then just say, okay, well, 20% or 30% of everything that comes in above what I'm currently making, that's going to automatically get saved and get in that habit. So again, if we started applying it to kids, think of yourself in your 20s. If in your 20s, 20% of anything that ever came in was invested, where you would be today financially, it's incredible. And, and as far as your lifestyle, it probably would have a very small impact. Mm -hmm. and, and to give you some numbers, I mean, if the stock market's traditionally returning 10%, if you put away 20%, within 20 years, that money will be making more than you mm -hmm. in the stock market with compound growth. So it's, it's huge. Yeah. No, that's, that's absolutely crazy. And, and I, I think it's something too. I mean, I don't want to get into like vehicles here, you know, cause we could go crypto, we could do real estate, we could do conservation easements. We could do a lot of things that I had to learn about when, uh, <laughs> when I got my first ever tax bill that was equal to my 10 year salary, uh, in the United States Marine Corps. And I was like, what, huh? What? And I was like, okay, cool. And then it was actually that, that container that forced me to start realizing that money is a tool. Right. Like money. And I know for me, and I don't know if this is prevalent to anybody else listening to this, but I know as an entrepreneur, a lot of entrepreneurs that I know that I'm friends with that I'm, that are massively successful. A lot of us had very similar upbringings to where our success was almost compensatory in nature compared to our paradigm growing up. And then it was our way of solving it. But then we solved it. And for me personally, never went to the root of what it was. And then recreated this pattern over and over and over until I started diving into the root of like, oh, there's a belief system at play here and uh, compensatory or forcing it isn't sustainable either, right? It's like, hey, I'm glad that I was able to do this. But now that I've done this, I've bought myself the space and the freedom to bring an awareness to what it is that the patterns or the beliefs or the habits or the mindset are that are required to make this work. And I think that that like listening, even just reflecting on this whole episode so far is like just the one thing about like mindset of like eliminating the more and making sure that the mores come from is rooted in why and what and then if one of your whys and your awesomes is i want to have a collection of lamborghinis at least it's intentional and it fills your bucket and then it serves a purpose and then with the the lack of judgment and creating conversation and then having an intentional habit around um, setting aside some of what you do. And then also I'd, I'd, I'd increase that and add some to charity as well. That was a big lesson that I learned that helps me staying in that altruistic state of like just giving something all the time is a big one for me that helps me. Um, 
But I love how simple, but also how complex, how powerful it is, and then how easy it is to implement and then maintain that consistency. And so that's the last question I wanted to ask you about is, you know, habits like atomic habits or anything along those things that we do, like fitness and food and, and boom, we want to work on having an abundant mindset. We're going to work on eliminating judgment. We're going to ask if it's as awesome. We're going to say, Hey, uh, we should talk about money. Hey, this is a conversation. Hey team, this is what we're spending. Hey, what do you think? And we're enrolling people in the conversation. We're setting stuff aside. What are some of the things that you see or that you use or that you've experienced from a habit standpoint that really, really set you up to win? Like for me, I'll give you an example of like kind of the question I'm asking is that when I got out of the Marine Corps and I grew up, like I was, I was obsessive. Like it was an addiction to look at my bank account. Like I could tell you to the penny every day where everything was. But at that point in my life, it was a very, very required thing to heal the trauma that I grew up with and having nothing. But the, what it led to was that I had about a million dollars in the bank in liquidity. And I would tell people I was broke. I would tell people I was poor. We would go to dinner. I'm like, I can't go to dinner. I can't because it was that new trauma, right? I had a different result, but I had the same trauma. And so then I actually had to stop logging into my bank account every day, right? I'm like, I can't do it. I have to put rules on it. I took the apps off my phone and then I had to set up this container. But now here I am on the other side where I don't even have logins to my bank account because my wife manages it all and I'm fully surrendered and trusting to what's out there. But it was an intentional habit, right? To like set myself up to win. And I know for some people it's, you know, being aware of what your spending is, uh, logging in and checking it, doing a monthly audit. Like, are there anything that you find that helps people and even kids put it into practice to where it kind of creates this momentum around shifting the paradigm around money from less or scarcity to more and abundant in the right way, just through habits? Um, yeah, I mean, the, this does start to become natural in the habits, but I'll have to admit, I'm, for me, so when you, when we talk about awesome stuff, for me, freedom is, is big for me in terms of awesome stuff. Um, freedom in, in all its sense. Um, so in writing the book, what I, one of my hopes was to actually, my goal with money and teaching money is that, so it, that it becomes something that's not top of mind. Mm-hmm and doesn't even exist in your decision process. So I'm trying to eliminate all habits and any thinking. That's a perfect answer to your question. It's a perfect answer, because here's what I, I just, you know, like my brain works in like metaphors because we're marketers, right? So like my brain went to, it's like, yeah, when I'm sitting here recording this podcast, I'm not thinking about my car being parked outside because I don't need my car in this moment. But the moment I need to get home, I'm like, what tool do I have in my toolbox? I'm like, oh, my car. I'm going to get my car, I'm going to drive home. But when I park my car in my driveway, I'm not going to sit on my couch, like wondering what's happening in my car. Is my car feel okay? How much gas is in my car? Like, no, no, no. And it's like a very big tool. And I, I love that to where that, that's amazing. I don't know. Does that make sense? Does that, is that kind of yeah. applicable? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing is if, if all we're thinking about money, that's where it becomes this stress stressor. And it's how we judge and how we value. And you're talking about your story. I find the same thing. I mean, if I'm, if I'm feeling insecure then and and insecure my you know my worth and my value then i'll start talking about money and what i have and what i've accomplished and i recognize that that's that's just my insecurity that's a that's a big red flag to me that i'm not feeling good about myself because the whole 
thing is it shouldn't be top of mind. So the only habit should be just getting in the habit of thinking to yourself, is this my awesome stuff? And another habit is that automatic saving. But that automatic saving, if you have a system in place, it's not even a habit that you have to do. You set up the system so it just happens. Automatically, your checks come in and so much gets deposited. You didn't see it go out. And then when you look at your statement, you see what's in your bank account and you spend whatever you want. You don't need any habits around it. That I, I love that world. No, I love that. And I think it's so, um, and it's such a, it's a, such a clear after state to get to as well. Like it's such a clear, measurable, simple, but powerful in that same right after state to, to be achieved to where you really truly are shifting the paradigm and the belief system to, to almost be fully integrated with your money, just like you're fully integrated with your health and your fitness and your food to where you have an awareness of what's happening and where it is. But then when you have to call upon it or need it, there's confidence in it being there. There's confidence in it being there. And like listening to you talk, it's, it's like what my through line for this whole episode, like for me personally, that I'm taking away is that these few principles are basically the solution to 99% of the stress in my life, the insecurity in my life, the things that pop up for me. Cause I, I, I find the same thing. Like I, I, I call myself on it now, but I'll find myself in a conversation. Sounds like, oh, what do you do? And if I'm really grounded and secure, I'll be like, oh, I do this and this. And if I'm not, I start dropping numbers. But now I have an awareness that when I drop numbers, I know that's me being ungrounded and not creating the desirable results. So I can catch it before it comes out now. Cause I'm like, no, I don't, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter, but it's just awareness. And that's what I love so much about it is like, I, I don't want to drag anybody, but you know, I love watching people troll Dave Ramsey in his comments. I think it's the funniest thing in the world. But when I, what I love about this is this is deeper than strategies and tactics. This is deeper than just go check this box. This is deeper than here's the one thing to fix it. And to be really cliche, this is the unraveling or really the full embodiment of give a man a fish and elite for a day, teach him to fish and elite for a lifetime. And, and you're going deeper in the levels of NLP and shifting an entire ecosystem. So that everything above it gets applied in the right manner. And I love that you're doing it for me with a simple word like awesome and teaching children, which is helping me, but also at that very root of a key part of their life, you know, paradigm development is up to eight years old and educating at that conversation is going to help reparent and educate a generation on what it actually means and going to get meta, but post-industrial complex and things that we were taught to like check the box and be factory workers and blah, 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 blah. But that's a, that's a conspiracy theory podcast I haven't done yet, but we'll, you know, you can read the book called Guns, Grains, Germs, and Steel. It's an incredible, incredible account of like what happened in this country. But um, I don't know, David, I, I tend to be lacking words or speechless when some of the simplest answers just rock me to my core. And that's kind of how I'm feeling today because this conversation is applicable to like parts of my life. But I, I just think it's so profound. I think it's so profound. So what's the, actually, I need to tell people about the book. What the heck is the name of the book? So the, <laughs> the book is The Golden Quest. The Golden Quest. The Golden Quest, Your Journey to a Rich Life. Your Journey to a Rich Life. And uh, where can everybody find the book? So they can find the book at theawesomestuff.com. And that means the is in the URL, right? Or is it awesomestuff.com? The. So it's awesome stuff. It's something you. completely different. It's the awesome stuff. I ask because I'm not going to say my personal email on the podcast, but my personal email starts with the word it's. And so when I say it, 
they don't write the word it's down and they send it to an email and it goes to some 78 year old guy named George in Michigan. Cause he has that email. So I was asking because I was like, we need to include that the is in the thing. So it's the awesome stuff.com. And the book's called the golden quest primarily meant for, you know, young kids, but also a really good graduation present for kids. And the concepts in there are masked with, you know, stories and almost like a comic, but it's applicable to people like me and everybody in between. Yeah, my my hope is adults read this, but Sweet. the reason it's targeted towards kids isn't because the 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 content the content isn't actually for kids. It's for people of any age. The reason I targeted it for kids is because just like you mentioned, the trauma and I've got the same you know issues that I've gone through. The children they get these concepts so much quicker, and it's so much easier for them because they haven't learned their own views on money and they haven't internalized it and how the, how it makes them feel or their value or their self-worth based on this. So these things just are an easy lesson that watching, like you mentioned, your five-year-old start getting these concepts. It's just so simple and so beautiful and seeing them grasp it and then not struggle. Um, and I know I, like, I don't want to, you know, jump on Gordon Ramsay or any of these people as well, but back to that idea, all these financial gurus and books that are out there again it's based on this idea of if you have more money you your value is higher you're a better person you're a smarter person you're a happier person and and that's the paradigm i'm trying to shift there's nothing wrong with more but it does not make you better happier smart i was gonna ask my last question but that answered my last question because my last question is like if you could leave everybody with one message and that's all they remember from this podcast, what would it be? And you just said it. You're like that there's nothing wrong with wanting more, but more doesn't equal better, a better person, a happier person. And I love that. Yeah. Well, we've got to change it because that's that's what we're being told. That's totally everyone is pushing, pushing, and and that's what we're being taught. And our kids are being taught it, and we're being taught it. Businesses are being taught it. Corporate mm -hmm. retreats, that's what we're teaching. All of it is teaching that one concept which, which needs to change. Which I love that they like mask it as like, this is abundance. And we're like, no, this is disconnection. This, this is actually rooted in trauma. This is rooted in you not being good enough, which by the way, is the opposite of what abundance is. It's just putting wrapping paper or a Trojan horse on scarcity and then calling it something different. So I, I love that, man. I love that. And I know this to be true. I, I said this the other day, I Googled it. Um, but uh, I was reading a, a financial thing a couple of months ago in an email I got about you know, marketing and business and the, the skincare industry, like the, the women's cosmetic industry is, uh, I think is like $262 billion a year, $262 billion a year. But it lives under the same premise of your skin always has to look better. You shouldn't age. You have to do this. And it's more, 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 more. And, and somebody like a statistician had broken it down. And they said, if, if every woman stopped buying skincare products for five days, it would adjust the global GDP by over 10% in five days. Like just if women just stopped buying cosmetics for five days, like it would change like the entire GDP of the world by over 10%. And it's all predicated on this more, 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 more thing. And so I just think it's an incredible concept and I fully, fully support it. So I love it, man. I just want to say thank you. We've been going for like an hour and 10 minutes. This has been incredible. For those of you that are listening, David is an absolutely incredible human being. 
Um, but go to theawesomestuff.com, grab a copy of the book. I'm going to get a copy. I'm going to read it to Branson. I have an advanced digital copy, but I can't read digital stuff. So I'm going to get a physical copy because, you know, rocks, crayons, a couple of colors for me. Um, but take something out of this. Like if it's, if it's changing your judgment, if it's putting something into practice around uh, the more concept, if it's having a conversation and speaking something that hasn't been spoken about, if it's getting grounded and asking yourself, like, is this my awesome stuff or what and why do I want this? I would just challenge everybody to take this and apply it into one area of your life or your business where it feels applicable and where it can make a difference. Because I love how simple these are, but if there's one lesson I've learned in my life and Gary V sums it up the best, ideas are shit and execution is everything. And I got to give him credit for that one because this only changes if we change it. And so David, I just want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, for letting me know that you were open to doing this, for writing the book, for being a dope human, for leading by example, for having dope blue glasses, you know, to, to be my blippy. I just want to thank you for being my blippy. Thanks so much. I mean, I, I've, I've enjoyed this so much. And, and like you said, George, the same thing uh, when I first saw you, I was like, we, we've got to connect and be friends. I knew it. I just hope, I hope you don't go Google blippy and you're like, I don't like this guy. Like that's my deep rooted fear right now. And I was like, no, 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 it was a good thing. It was a good thing. Uh, but I love it. So for everybody listening, we're going to wrap the show. So make sure you go grab a copy of the book. The book is called The Golden Quest. Um, it's at theawesomestuff.com. Give it a listen. Let us know. Go shoot me an Instagram DM. If you're like, hey, I can't find it. I got you. I'll send it to you. I'll send you David's stuff. I'll make it easy for you because that's what we do. So remember that relationships will always be the algorithms. You will either see me in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. But either way, we're done. It's time to cue the outro. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.